Hey, this is Lily Barouette, co-pastor of Live Church, and this is our podcast. Our mission is to awaken the drive, compassion, and love in our community. Together, we can live in victory every day. Here's today's message. So before I start my sermon, I would like to um, start off with just a little introduction, just to paint a picture of where what the Holy Spirit had planted in me during sabbatical to preach about. When you look at a box, a puzzle box, you notice that before you lies a box that is filled with many random pieces. Each piece of the puzzle hold yet its significant value. Though they may resemble one another, they are all different. No two are exactly the same. When these pieces are linked together, they need to make sense in order for the overall picture to make sense. Just like these pieces The way we decide to pursue Jesus is connected to someone else's deliverance. Everybody, can you please stand up for the reading of the word? Tyler, can you please come up and do the Bible pledge, please? To the Bible, God's holy word, I make it a I pledge allegiance to the Bible. I pledge allegiance to the Bible. God's holy word. God's holy word. I make it a lamp onto my feet. I will make it a lamp onto my feet. And a light onto my path. And a light onto my path. I'll hide its word in my heart. I will hide its word in my heart. That I might not sin against God. That I might not sin against God. Okay, so today, scripture will be reading from Mark chapter 5. It's kind of long, you guys, so please bear with me. Mark chapter 5, verses 21 verses through 43. So when you get it, please say amen. amen. And the word will be read by Cece. I will be reading from the NIV version. Can you guys put it up on the screen, please? Mark chapter 5, 21. Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. 
So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the, the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they, la they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kuman, Kumi, which, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Spirit of the living God, I ask that may you fall fresh into this place. God, I present myself as a living sacrifice, oh God. And I ask that, Lord God, that it be less of me and more of you. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. You guys may be seated. Okay. Let's get straight to it. I'm extremely nervous, but I'm gonna go ahead and do what I gotta do in my nervousness. Okay. So, I would like to just give you an overall picture of events that happened in Mark chapter five from the beginning to now where Jesus had his, well, Jairus had his first encounter with Jesus. So in Mark chapter five, if you read, it starts off with, it starts off with how Jesus was, well, he delivered, he just healed a man who was possessed by legions. And Jesus got on a boat and went to Capernaum, which is his hometown. And it's, as you can see up there on the map, Capernaum is on the northern 
the, um, the northern portion of Galilee. And while Jesus gets off the boat, immediately he is greeted by a crowd of people. And while Jesus is greeted by a crowd of people, he meets this gentleman by the name of Jairus who comes up to him and pleads his case and tells Jesus that, hey, I'm in dire need of your presence at my house. I have a 12-year-old daughter who is sick and she is dying and I need you to come. So Jesus agrees. Can you um, put the slide with the, the streets, the street? I have a slide of this, which is Capernaum. The reason why I have this is because while Jairus was taking Jesus on his way to his house, I want you to understand that this infrastructure right here, this stuff right here, the middle is how close the street is in Capernaum. And all of those is basically buildings where buildings used to be, okay? Bear with me, I know I'm kind of a little bit of everywhere, but trust me, it will make sense, okay? So now Jairus is walking down, and mind you, with Jesus to get to his house. And on his way to his house, along with the crowd, there comes a woman out of nowhere, okay? Around this time, you have to, the, well, the woman, she pressed her way through the crowd. When I look at that picture of, so this is the woman, as you can see, pressing her way through the crowd. But when I look at the picture of the streets and the infrastructure, I'm trying to figure out, how was this lady able to press through the crowd with the buildings on the side, the tightness around, okay, the crowd. And in that time, the people who was in the forefront were basically like men and boys, so men. And then in the crowd, behind that crowd that was close to Jesus was a trail probably of women who followed through who was also trying to spectate. So how was this lady able to push her way past all of that, okay, and not be seen, just and touch his garment and not be seen. On top of that, what blew my mind is this woman who was able to press her way through the crowd, she was considered an outcast. So therefore that means that this lady had to disguise herself, okay? She had to disguise herself to press through the crowd of the trail of women and still not be seen. To press through the crowd of maybe muscular men who are bumping against each other just to get to the presence of Jesus. Which leads me to my first point. But let me go a little bit deeper, I'm sorry. So now, when the lady go ahead and press through the crowd, I don't know, I don't know. I, when I read this, 
passage, I really felt like this lady was a ninja because I don't know how she pressed through the crowd. So when she pressed through the crowd, right, out of all those people, people bumping against the wall, you know, there's uproar, people trying to touch Jesus. Jesus probably getting pushed from behind. And then he got his disciples around him trying to bodyguard, block the people from pushing. Jesus still managed to notice that somebody touched him. How? How? And then you have the disciples who know that the situation is crazy because they're there, you know? So Jesus go ahead and say, who touched me? So the disciples now know the situation that is crazy. And now they're saying, yo, Jesus, you tripping, man. You bugging. You don't see all these people behind you and you asking, who touched you? I touched you. He touched you. He touched you. What are you talking about, Jesus? But Jesus is like, no, trust me. Believe me. Somebody touched me because I felt power come from me. And I know Jesus had to be loud, so now the whole crowd is like probably looking around like, dang, who touched Jesus, man? I, I mean, I, mean, I kind of bumped him, but I ain't touched Jesus. I ain't mean to do it because the guy behind me was pushing against me. You feel me? So now, the lady who had to creep her way through, she can't creep her way back unnoticed. She could not creep her way back unnoticed. So she had to stand. Because they was going to find out now. Because now the whole crowd is looking for her. So now they're going to figure out who you are. Because you are the woman with the issue of blood. And you are unclean. So you're not supposed to be in the midst of us. So what are you doing here? So now you're going to cause an uproar. So the lady stood up boldly and said. She pleaded her case before God. I am the one who touched you. This is why I touched you. I've been bleeding for 12 years. I am unclean. Nobody want me to be around you. Nobody want to be around them. This lady probably had children that she couldn't be around for 12 years. She probably was married, couldn't be around her husband for 12 years. She probably was a young girl at the age of 12 who probably got her menstrual and couldn't be around her parents for 12 years. This girl was desperate. She gave everything that she had, went to doctors, tried to ask doctors to heal her, to fix her situation. But the more that she spent money, the more that she was closer to death, the more that she spent money, the more that she was not getting anywhere. So she pleaded her case before Jesus boldly. Now this leads to point one. My point for point one, it is your pursuit allows the crowd to bear witness. Your pursuit allows the crowd to bear witness. Meanwhile, all of this was going on. Mind you, <laughs> Jairus was still there. And Jairus was a synagogue leader. And if you know the history of long time ago of Hebrew in um, ancient Israel, those who were a synagogue leader were considered to be, in modern days time, they were kind of considered like the Supreme Court justices, if, that, if that's the word. They were the one who carried out the law of the land. They the one who told you what would go and what would go through. 
So they were the one who also agreed to carry out the law that made the lady still be considered to be unclean. Okay? So now, while all of this is going on, the lady is speaking. This is, where point, this is point number one. While Jairus was standing along the crowd, he bore witness to the woman's deliverance. I know you're probably wondering how he bore witness, but first let's take a look at the meaning of what bear witnesses, um, witness mean. The word bear witness in Greek come, uh, means martyreo, which means to give a testimony and not to hold back. When I got that, I wasn't satisfied with the meaning, so I went to dig in deeper. I wanted to know what the word testimony mean. So when I looked up the word testimony in Hebrew, it means adult. And that word adult is very powerful. That word adult means to do it again in the same power and authority. So, when the woman spoke up to Jesus and spoke to the crowd, basically what she did was she proclaimed that Jesus was able to heal, was able to save, was able to restore, and is capable of doing it again, okay? And since Jairus was there, he was able to empathize with the woman. Not only was Jairus able to bear witness to the woman's deliverance, something else happened too. Jesus, he, Jairus was able to bear witness to Jesus, okay? He bore witness to Jesus' work in his truthfulness, his works and his truthfulness. According to Mark chapter 5, verses 34, while Jesus was speaking to the woman with the issue of blood, Jesus did something that was also powerful. The woman, mind you, when the woman spoke, she proclaimed. When Jesus spoke, what he did was affirm. Okay? And if some of you don't know what the word affirm means, it means to state that, to state that something is factual. Okay, so the woman proclaimed that Jesus was her healer, was her restorer, and also was everything that she needed to be, her complete restorer. And what Jesus did when the woman was speaking, he said that, yes, not only am I a healer, I'm a deliverer, I am capable of doing everything I still have the capability of doing it again. And for me, I feel like while reading this, I felt like it was necessary for the lady to get her full restoration that she needed to stand up and tell the people who shunned her, who pushed her out, that she was, that she was healed and she was sick. She needed to say that publicly because there, the only person who was able to completely heal her and let her know that she 
can now mingle around everybody else because mind you, while she's pressing through the crowd and she is unclean, now she has to touch everybody else. So everybody that she has touched are now unclean as well along with her. And Jesus had to proclaim that my daughter, you are now healed. So now you can mingle around these people and they can be clean too because you are now clean. And because if you are clean, you make everybody else that you made unclean clean so let's go into point number two where now while all of this is going on the lady the commotion Jairus still has his situation back at home his daughter is still dying nothing has changed Jesus is still on the way to his house they still have not received Oh, went to his house. Jesus still have not touched the girl. The girl still have not anything happened to her. She's still the same. Somebody from Jairus' house came while Jesus is speaking to the young lady and telling her that she is completely healed and restored. Came to deliver some bad news. Yo, your daughter is dead. You don't need Jesus anymore. Go back to your house and go bury your daughter. Like, it's pointless. She, she dead. Just bury her and move on with your life. She dead. And in this very moment, it makes me think about how Jairus felt. He went to Jesus because he felt, he knew, not felt, he knew that Jesus was more than capable of doing everything that he needed him to do. And then all of a sudden, some man come and tells him, you know, that his, his daughter is dead, which now the faith, the little faith that he had went from 100 to zero. Or maybe not zero. It's probably like balancing. Should it be on, should it stay on 100? Should it go to zero? Should I stay at 50 and kind of believe? He don't know what he he. He want to stand at, you know? And while Jesus, all of this was going on, Jesus interrupted the man and said, yo, Jairus, man, don't listen to him. All you have to do is just believe. All you have to do is just believe. So this brings me to point number two, where bear witness when you, you're in your pursuit, bearing witness strengthens faith. So now Jairus is left with the situation of trying to decide whether or not he's going to listen to the naysayer or is he going to give it up. And not only that, Jesus was aware of the battle that was taking place in his mind. So when Jesus stepped in, what he did was an act of reassurance. Though he spoke a few words, though Jesus spoke a few words, those words that he said had power to remind Jairus that he just seen Jesus move. Like you just bore witness. You just seen that I was able to heal the lady who was sick with the issue of blood. You just seen how I restored her social status. You just seen how I just set her free. You just seen. Don't forget. Remember. Don't let doubt step in. You're right here in my presence. I'm all that you need. Just bring me to your house. Just have the faith. Just take me there and let me do the rest. 
So what Jesus did, he removed the crowd. And to me, the crowd symbolized doubt. When you make the decision to pursue Jesus, not only does it strengthen, it does strengthen your faith and the faith that you have, that you stand on, when you have faith and you believe that Jesus is capable of doing everything, then Jesus is able to remove the doubt and doubt cannot stand. So Jesus needed to, well, he didn't need to, he isolated the crowd because obviously for me, I believe that Jairus made the conscious decision that Jesus that he is going to stand on Jesus and he believed that everything that Jesus was able to do, he is able to do it again. So when Jesus was able to, when all of this was going on, Jesus took, he removed the crowd and he took just a few. He took the three disciples with him, um, Peter, James, and John. And he also took the mother and the father, Jairus, and they walked to the daughter's house. I mean, to the daughter at the house, which leads to point three. Through your pursuit, your strengthened faith gives you hope to an expected end. Because Jairus made the decision to believe in Jesus and remain faithful in his pursuit. Because of that act that he did, it was a form of intercession for his daughter. His daughter couldn't personally go to Jesus to ask Jesus for her deliverance because Jairus pursued Jesus and didn't doubt that Jesus is capable of what he was capable of doing. He was able to stand as a gap, as a bridge to give his daughter the deliverance that he needs. I don't know who you are interceding for what your family what your friends is depending on I don't know but your pursuit depends on if they get the deliverance or if they don't get the deliverance so um I want to give just a short testimony of myself if I could relate to any character in the bible or in this passage it would be the woman with the issue of blood. Um, for me, growing up for me was not, it wasn't easy, okay? Um, I don't know, I felt, I really feel like I was, I came in with, into something that was just bigger than myself. When I was born, my mother just, when I was in my mother's stomach, my mother lost her second child. So I am the third out of five kids of my mom and my dad. So I am technically the middle child. And you know, as the middle child, um, you know, you got challenges. You got to deal with the first, the last, um, and, you know, the favorites and everything else like that. And it it just wasn't easy. Like, I had to, I was battling with um, trying to win my parents' acceptance. Not only did I come and my mom didn't know that I was coming, you know, like, it's like, whoa, like I'm pregnant. I just lost a child and whoa, I found out I'm pregnant. <sighs> I was fighting with like my sister, 
just being accepted with my sister, because my sister was my dad's favorite. Joshua, if you know, um, he is the the boy, the one who's after me. And then my little brother, Junior, he's the one who had Down syndrome. So everybody had something that made them be attached. My oldest sister, mind you, she's the first child. Joshua, the first boy after three girls. And, you know, and then Junior, he has Down syndrome and he's the last child. So everybody, you know, had they had their stuff. Me, on the other hand, I had nothing. So when my sister did something wrong, the anger would come, you know, beatings came to me. My brother would do something wrong, beatings. My mom would have bad day, beatings. Like nobody made me feel acceptable. There were so many times, so many, I had to also battle because I was the darkest person in my family. So my mom used to joke with my siblings about how I'm dark and how they found me in the trash. So I was dealing with a lot of um, internal, I had a, a major internal battle where it even made me starting to hate myself. I hated my existence. I remember at the age of 10, I was so tired of being, you know, shunned at my house and then would go to school and being bullied at my school, you know, where the whole school would try to jump me. And I just was tired. So I tried to commit suicide at the age of 10. I really didn't, I really didn't know. I just, I did not want to be here because like, nobody wanted me around. And I could understand how the women with the issue of blood felt, you know, and would put the icing on the cake because even all of that, this, this road of rejection made me run into finding love in different places. Um, I fell into, you know, living a very promiscuous lifestyle. Um, not only that, you know, I was also um, helping my friends who were pimp, pimp females, because I just hated life and I hated everything that life stand for. But what put the icing on the cake was where everybody around me was bearing kids, my sisters, my brothers, you know, with having children. And I went to the doctor and the doctor said that, yeah, you just might as well need to have a full-blown hysterectomy. I put the icing on the cake because now I really felt worthless. I felt like my life did not have any value. It didn't have any meaning. What was my purpose of being here? But I thank God for this man who came to this world, on this earth, 2,000 years ago, and who died on the cross to make this girl who was worthless, who felt inadequate, who felt unworthy. I thank God for Jesus, who died and who, his death, through his death, he showed me, through his death, he showed me what true love, unconditional love really means, what it really means to be loved by someone. Through his death, he told me that I was worthy, that I, who everyone rejected, would be the one that everyone would turn and look up to. He told me, that though 
I felt that I was poor, that I truly wasn't poor, that I was a royal priesthood. This man named Jesus restored my life. And I don't know who here. I don't know what you're dealing with, what mind battles you're dealing with. I don't know if you feel as if you are not worthy. If you feel as if you have no expected end, I can boldly say that that is the lie of the enemy. Because Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who was born on a major and who died on the cross, can do exceedingly, abundantly, more than you ask or think. If he did it back then, I stand today and I bear witness and I proclaim that he is more than capable of doing it again. So right now, I open the floor to you. There are some of you who can relate to the women with the issue of blood. And there are some of you who can relate to Jairus' situation as well. I open the floor to you to receive this man called Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who is my God, the true and living God. And I offer him to you as your God as well. If you want to take this act of faith and accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior, I ask that may you please raise your hands. Is there anyone out there who needs Jesus? So if this applies to you and you raised your hands and you want Jesus to come in and be your personal savior, your life changer, your complete restorer, repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you from the depths of my heart. I realize that I have sinned. I repent my sins and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is the Son of God and he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose him from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and live in me now. By faith, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Father, I receive your Holy Spirit as my comforter to help me to obey you and to do your will, in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who generously support this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. Join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give by visiting us at livechurch.miami.
Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this one.